is that we live in perilous times that Paul told Timothy about in his letter to him and the perilous times we're living in. But no matter how perilous they get, no matter how difficult they get, no matter how complicated they get, we have a God who is very uncomplicated, a God who is very uh, uh, clear and, and, and concise and precise in everything that he says to us, and he will navigate us through the difficult times. I think of a new year always as a, a fresh start. Uh, you know, I just, I just see things in pictures of mine. God's always spoken to me through a flash of a vision, and I see a picture. And when I see a new year coming up, I see like a big whiteboard with all the horrible stuff that happened in it, all the bad stuff. And I see, you know, good stuff too, but the bad stuff especially is just up there in big letters, big bold letters. And I just see the hand of God with the big eraser just wiping the slate clean. And all you have is a big white board up there with nothing written on it yet, but we will determine what is written on that big white board in our lives. A new year, a fresh start is a powerful theme, powerful theme. And uh, a new year, somebody said, is a new beginning. It's like a new birth. Uh, the new year begins and we feel like that we need to make changes in our life. And there are things in our lives that we need to change. Somebody say amen, because we live in a fallen world, we still struggle. But we need to start on a new path, intentionally, with an act of our free will, to determine that I'm going to move forward with God. I'm going to do new things and say goodbye to some old things. I'm going to say goodbye to last year's problems, last year's difficulties, even though the remnant of them may still entangle our thoughts and our mind, but nonetheless, they're going to be cut off like a vine that's growing up a house, and it will wither and die, and the new birth will come. Often we make, we start making new plans and new resolutions, as we should at the beginning of a new year, because it's a new beginning. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul said that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things, say all, all things have become new. You know, every day with Jesus is a new day. His tender mercies are new every single morning. Zechariah 10, 6 through 7 says this. It's not on your overhead, so you'll just have to listen up and maybe write this down. But it's from the Message Bible. I love the Message Bible. And uh, what he says here is his aisle, God is saying, speak through his prophet, I'll put muscle in the people of Judah. How many need a little muscle in your spiritual life? You know, you need to tone up, you know, join the spiritual gym and do the pull-ups and the sit-ups and lift the weights of going through the scriptures as we talked about last year, being faithful to read God's Word every day and to have your devotional life, your prayer life. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to buff up your body and you're going you're gonna to be, a, you can be a, a big fat guy like me and yet in your spiritual realm you could be this muscular person that's all toned and fit. But he says, I'll put muscle in the people of Judah. I'll save the people of Joseph. I know their pain and will make them as good as new. I tell you, God knows your pain. His word is ever relevant in every generation, and, 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 and it's relevant to you. God knows your pain. He knows the difficulty you've gone through, the struggles that you're having. And he says, I'm going to make you as good as new. He's going to revamp you from the ground up. Somebody say amen. And then he goes on to say, and I love this. This is how the, the Message Bible says, they'll get a fresh start as if nothing had ever happened. That's, that's what God can do. And he asks the question, why? And he answers the question. He says, because I am 
their very own God. I'll do what needs to be done for them. The people of Ephraim and, and, and will be famous and the lives brim, their lives brimming with joy. Their children will also get in on it, he says. Oh, let them feel, let them feel blessed by God. The children get in on it too. How many care about the next generation? You know, it's a troubling thing in, in our culture that it seems like uh, there's not a lot of concern about the future generation, what kind of a, a world they're going to grow up in, what kind of an America they're going to inherit. We've been handed a legacy from our founders, and it is, it is just being destroyed generation by generation. Lack of gratefulness for what God has given to us on a nation that was founded on the principles and precepts of the Word of God, always imperfect but always striving uh, to get better. Uh, uh, Psalms 145.14 says, God gives a hand to those who are down on their luck. Anybody ever been down on your luck? I have. God gives a hand. He reaches down with his strong, saving right arm, and he gives us a hand up. And what does he say? He says he gives a fresh start to those who are ready to quit. Ever been felt like quitting? Ever felt like giving up? God will give you a fresh start. He'll give you a new beginning. He'll give you a reason to go on. He'll give you purpose in your life. He'll give you excitement about the future instead of dreading of the future. Uh, text today, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says this, Come now and let us settle this. Uh, the New King James and King James says, Come now and let us reason together. Let's have an interactive discussion, in other words. God is saying to his people, and can I, as I said before, God's word is always relevant to every generation of those who trust in him. God is saying to us, you know, you, you have a problem, come, let's talk about it. Uh, you have sinned, come, let's reason together. And he goes on like this and he makes a promise. And God is not a man that he can lie. God is able to fulfill every one of his promises. Word, He says this, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. And I don't know about you, but that makes me pretty thrilled. These words of hope were given to a people of Judah who were uh, uh, deserving and expecting judgment. They, had, they didn't deserve this kind of treatment. Uh, but uh, can I tell you that even in Israel in that day and Judah in that day, there was a remnant of people who have not turned their backs on God that they were still in prayer, they were interceding, they were crying out to God for mercy for the nation. I pray and I trust and I hope that there are people here who are part of the remnant in this culture today who are still calling out to God for mercy and for revival in this nation of ours and in the world that we live in. For before the Christ of Calvary returns in his second coming to rapture the church and usher in the seven-year tribulation period, the end of things as we know it, that we pray and we hope and we desire and we believe God for another fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit, a fresh beginning. Another time when the harvest can be reaped, uh, for the harvest is great. There are people who are suffering and dying in their sins. There are people who are lost and dying. There are people who are confused. There are people who don't know what's going on. They don't know which end is up. We have become like the nation of and the city of Nineveh when Jonah was on the scene as a prophet, and God said, I'm going to destroy this nation. You go and preach to them. God says because when he sent revival and Jonah was mad about it because he hated those people who wanted him judged, he said, should I not have compassion on 120,000 souls who don't know their right hand from their left? 
And I'm just saying today, we can get mad at sin, we can get mad at perversion that is enveloping our nation and is parading itself in all the media and in the public streets. We can get mad about it or we can pray about it. We can do something about it. We can cry out to God that, God, these people are like Nineveh. They don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the destruction that their acts and their acts of disobedient, their lifestyle is leading them to. And we can have compassion and cry out to God for them. These people were expecting the judgment of God, and yet it is the grace and mercy of God that is revealed really in this passage Judah had sinned. The people of uh, Israel, God's covenant people, had sinned. I think in the body of Christ today, the covenant people who have made covenant with Christ, many in this culture and our church uh, world have sinned. That we live as we profess Christ as Savior, but so many live as if God didn't exist. Their acts betray their profession of faith. And yet God is willing to extend grace and mercy Uh, to us as a culture and as a church culture if we cry out to him for help and for healing. Judah had sinned. They were insincere in their worship. Their sacrifices, their animal sacrifices were meaningless to God because their hearts were not right. Now they were doing what was required by the law in the sacrifice, but their hearts were not engaged. They were just going through the motions of religiosity and ceremony and religious rites and thinking that God would that would appease God and God says I I can see the sacrifice I can smell the aroma of it but I can also smell the stench of your hearts that you are far from me that you are not engaged uh, in sincerity in offering the sacrifices that you offer God isn't looking for commitments to service he's looking for a commitment from the heart to serve him and to love him to hate the things that he hates and to love the things that he hates. And can I tell you something? It's not a newsflash. You already know it. It's God loves people. He loves people of all different races and nationalities, the rich and the poor. He loves the handicapped and he loves those who are strong. He loves the smart, the high intellect, and he also loves those who are slow. Christ died for all, somebody said, and I say it and repeat it to you is that he died for all. And it's the responsibility of every single one of us to tell the world that God, through his prophet and through his son, has cry, is crying out to those who are sin, come and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. I don't know about you, but when before I got saved, I hadn't been raised in a church, never heard the gospel in a language I could understand. But I tell you, when I heard that message and heard that I had offended God, that my sins were ever before me, that God would judge them. But the preacher told me that there was somebody who died for my sins and paid the penalty for my sins. And I thought, man, I I want that forgiveness. I desired to be cleansed. I wanted to be right with the God that I didn't know existed. How about you? Do you remember that day? There are people who don't understand. They don't know that they're sinning. They don't realize it. They feel it inside because God has designed us that way, the Spirit of God. He designed each person with a conscience that that conscience bears witness against us. But people need to hear that there's hope because when we know that we're sinners, that doesn't come as a surprise to any of us. When we know that we have a fallen sin nature, we may not call it that or articulate it with those words. But we know that something isn't right with inside of us. When we read the news on the news apps or we look at the news and we see incredibly evil and horrible things that 
that uh, one person does to another, the inhumanity to humanity. Our hearts grieve and we think, how can people do something like that? It's the fallen nature. It is sin. It waxes worse and worse and it's not going to get any better. But there's only one remedy and that is the precious blood of the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. It is the voice of God calling into the darkness to come out from the dark and be separate. It is God's voice calling out, come and let us reason together that I will make your sins that are like scarlet as white as snow. I felt that when I received Christ, that everything was white clean. I felt like fresh fallen snow was in my soul. I hope you felt that way about your salvation because it's a powerful thing. This invitation was extended to the inhabitants of Judah no matter how they were living, no matter how bad they were, because God cares about redemption. It was an invitation that, as we said, is also extended today, and it's an invitation for God to, and for us, to reason with God, to sit down with Him and have a discussion. Now, that's a pretty tall order because the Scriptures tell us through the prophet that God says that my ways are above your ways and my thoughts are far above your thoughts. But you know what God did through Christ is He bridged a gap between Him and us. He made a way for us to cross over to be with Him and to discuss with Him. He said, come and let us reason together, says the Lord. The nation of Judah was in a deep trouble. They were facing the imminent judgment of God. I believe that our nation is facing the imminent judgment of God. And you say, Pastor, how do you say things like that? It's depressing. Why don't you just preach happy things? You know, because when I came here 20 years ago, I made a promise to this congregation. Many of you weren't there. I said, I will always tell you the truth, even if you don't like it that God will judge sin and he'll judge the nations. And we have been blessed in this nation to have the freedom to worship as we please and, and to, to believe like we are, but we're losing our rights. And this, this is fastly approaching the end times. We need to be busy about the harvest. Somebody say amen. This people in this nation were in a state of rebellion against God, and our culture is in a rebellion against God. It is as if they are shaking their fist in the very face of God and, and cursing him out, telling him to depart, leave me, I don't want anything to do with you. We need to be the remnant who cries out to God, who bridges the gap, makes up the hedge. Because my God, the God that I know, the God of the Bible has revealed himself as one who does not delight in sending judgment, but he looks for someone to stand in the gap, make up the hedge. In the Old Testament, as he was looking at judging his people a final time, God said through his prophet, I have looked and I have searched for someone, for someone who can make up the hedge and stand in the gap so that I don't have to judge, but I found none. I think that's the saddest words in the scriptures in the Bible. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you that in his one and only son, God found one who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge? He found Christ, his only son, who was worthy to stand in the gap, make up the hedge, and stand between us and judgment. And the shedding of his blood was the perfect atonement to wash away our sins so that we could stand righteous before the Lord. And not only that, but to give us very clear promise of access to the very throne of God to receive help and mercy in a time of need. That we as the people of God can cross in from the outer court into the inner court, as it were, in the temple. 
that we can cross into the holy place and we can cross into the veil, past the veil, which was rent on Christ uh, when Christ was resurrected and, and, and suffered. But we can cross into the very presence of God, into the holy of holies. God has made a way for us. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2 said, The children that I raised and I cared for, they have rebelled against me. There's nothing more painful than a child who was lovingly raised and they turn against their parents or turn against their God. Isaiah goes on to say, Even an ox knows its owner and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what painful nation they are, loaded down with the burden of guilt. The burden of guilt. You know, one of the first things that I recognized on that night on November 1st, 1969, was the lifting of shame and guilt. It was the first time in my life I've ever experienced the freedom from guilt and shame. It weighed on my mind and pressed into my soul and robbed me of any peace and comfort that I could have. All the happiness and all the contrived uh, partying, that drunkenness to try to forget that, wore off and ended with a hangover. But when I received Christ as Savior, he gave me perfect peace by relieving me of the guilt and the shame. God wants to do this for his people. They are loaded down, he says, with the burden of guilt. And he goes on to describe them. He says, they are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the, God, the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on me. And yet still, listen to this, this shows the mercy and the grace of God. Still, God says, come, let us reason together. You can see the very heart of God is that he's still reaching out to a troubled people. I remember some very close friends of ours, still close friends of ours, even though we've been separated by hundreds and maybe a couple thousand miles over the years, but they were very good friends of Donna and mine when we first were, before we were married and after. I remember a time Donna and I led the youth group, and, you know, their sons were in the youth group, and, and along with uh, other kids from the church, and there came a time when their youngest son became a teenager, and he suddenly rebelled against his parents. He got kicked out of three schools, two Christian schools and a secular school because of his rebellion and his anger. He falsely accused his father of sexually molesting him, which was horrifying, false accusation that was just devastating. And I loved these, this couple. They were like a family to us. And I remember going up to uh, the father and I said, you know, if he was my son, I would disown him for that. And he looked at me and his heart you could say he just grieved, and he put his head down. He says, but Tim, he's my son. You know, I was angry and took an offense. That's how God is. But they're my children. Yes, they've done these horrible things. You know, the good news is, as Mark, uh, several years later, went to a church, Kansas City, Kansas, and on a Sunday night service, him and his wife, the Church of God, Pastor Smith was his name. I knew who this man was. He had preached at our church before. Powerful preacher. And Mark and his wife got up and walked down the aisle and wept at the altar. Though your sins be as scarlet, come, I'll make them white as snow. He recanted everything he said. He confessed his lies about his father and 
they found out that during that time they were unaware of it, but he'd gotten on drugs and affected his mind. But he, he rebelled like God is talking here. And there are people who rebel against God. There are sometimes people who are born-again Christians and they are serving God, but they go through a time of hurt and disappointment and they're bewildered and they're confused and they ask, they wonder how God could let this happen. How can God do this? And God's reaching out trying to comfort them and to help them through it, but they push him away. And they falsely accuse God the way Mark did his father about doing horrible things or not caring. And it's the God and the heart of the Father who reaches out to them and says, they're my child. They're hurting. I'm just here to tell you today, whether you're watching online or here, that if you, that's you, you're hurting. You've been disappointed. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand why this happened or that happened. I'm telling you, listen to the words of the Lord. Come now and let us reason together. The Father is waiting to have a conversation with you. He's waiting to reach out to you, to heal you, to restore you to perfect health, to bring you back. He loves you and he cares about you. He wants to call, he'll call you by name. He said, these are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord, but he still cares and still reaches out to them. Sometimes there's uh, something so, that is so terribly tragic when a child of God begins to go through the motions of acting out their faith instead of living their faith from their heart. So oftentimes it's so easy for us to go to a church, you know, whether it's here or somewhere else, and I've heard it said many times over the years and years and years, even long before I came here, that somebody has backslidden. They're living in a way that is not pleasing to God. It's happened here in this church where there's people who made a choice to uh, cohabitate and live together outside of marriage and when I lovingly confront them that they accuse me of uh, not caring about them and not loving them and why do you why do you say that to me pastor and I repent back to them because you know better you know better well I'm just going to go and they'll mention another church in the area that's much larger I'll just go there because they care about people you know, God cares about people, but he will tell you the truth about your life. Because the only way you can be forgiven, I want you to hear this, the only way you can be forgiven and enjoy the grace and the mercy of God is if you repent of your sins, acknowledge that you have offended God. And I'll tell you, that's why I think this culture who fights against this antichrist culture, anti-Christian culture, wants to eliminate any remnant, any belief in any kind of sin is because they want people to believe that there's no such thing, that all your behavior is relative. That's why it's going to wax worse and worse. That's why I told you probably five, six years ago that I foresee a day when there's going to be a, a defense, a public defense of pedophiles, that you can't judge them. They're just born that way, and there's really nothing wrong. Well, I'm hearing that all the time now in the news media in the back channels of the news media trying to work its way forward to being a normalcy to that kind of perverted behavior that God hates. See, sin is real. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In the culture that we live in today, we, the people of God, the remnant, need to, number one, we need to pray and intercede for God to intervene. Secondly, we need to pray for the people who are caught up in deception because they're being lied to. There's a demonic anointing and demonic spirits that are released in the last day to deceive as many people as they can. 
They will deceive the, even the elect if possible. How do we avoid being deceived? We become people and of the word of God. What God has said is truth. Doesn't matter if it flies in the face of culture. Doesn't matter if you're called a hater. Doesn't matter if you're called out of date. I'd rather be out of date and have a home in heaven than to be in date according to their standard and live eternity in hell. There's something terrible about it. Something tragic. But even uh, the minor things as children of God, people of faith, that when we start getting lukewarm in our walk with God, we start putting off our devotions, our prayer time, our Bible reading, and we begin to just go through the motions. We live as a Sunday Christian, if we even show up on Sunday. There's a lot of people, you listen to me, I told you, i tell you the truth, a lot of people watching live stream every week, and you ought to be in church. You ought to be in church. And live stream wasn't designed so you could sit at home and in your pajamas and watch church when you're able to come to church. You need to be rubbing elbows with and fellowshipping with the saints of God, with the people of God of like precious faith. You need to be here not only to be encouraged, you can be encouraged at home listening, but you need to be here to encourage other people. Okay, there's a two-way street, a knife that cuts both ways. You need to be an encourager. In fact, Paul told the Corinthians that they were so immature that you're still on mother's milk. You're still, you haven't been weaned. And he said, at a time of your age and maturity in the faith, you ought to be teachers and you're still children. There ought to be people who are teachers of the Word. You ought to ascribe to that and love that because there's, we need the truth being taught by gifted teachers and those who develop a gift of teaching. But there's people who come to church, they're apathetic and they're complacent. Uh, you know, they, they come in and they raise their hands and they worship. And when they walk out the door, they're unchanged. Now, I'm not throwing out accusations, but I know that this is the case. It's so easy to become colder and colder until you're lukewarm. And God said in Revelation that those he would spew out of his mouth who were lukewarm. He said, I'd rather you were hot or cold. Either get in or get out, but don't ride the middle fence. We can't afford to be lukewarm in a day of such incredible possibilities for destruction. It's time now for the church of Jesus Christ, those who have been bought by his blood, to come forward and stand and live like a Christian. To have standards, and I say standards and convictions, no matter what the culture is like, you know, we can love those people God bless them with salvation and revelation. But I'm telling you that we can still love them, but we should not grant our approval to perverted lifestyles and behavior. We can love them and care about them. We can pray for them, but we should never shy away from if God gives an opportunity and there's an opportunity to speak into their lives that we need to speak into their lives. You know, when I was backslidden when I was a teenager and out partying, my mother got saved and she was so terrified that I was going to die one night in a drunken driving accident or over drink and kill myself. And she said, and Tim, you'll go to hell. You're not right with God. She wasn't trying to hurt my feelings or offend me. She was trying to appeal to me with truth. It made me angry when she said that. You know, it really ticked me off. My mom could tick. Has your mother ever ticked you off telling you the truth? 
I mean, it didn't matter. You still need to hear the truth, don't you? She was worried about me. And God reached out to me through my oldest sister in such a way that it just broke through the lies that the devil had given to me and found out that there was a God who was wanting to reason with me, wanting to take away my sins. But we can't afford to be apathetic and complacent. We need to care. Care about the lost. Care about the dying. We need to care about missions like we've never cared before. I believe that God wants to send a revival in our community, but I believe across this nation and across the world. We can't afford to be mindless, heartless Christians where we just go through the motions and become religious instead of having a life relationship with the living God. We should be alive and well. We should be hearing His voice. We should be hearing His voice speak into our ears in such a way, listen, our desire and our goal should be to feel the breath of God as He speaks into our ears. That's my desire. You know, going through the, <clears throat> towards the end of last year, it's just like, God, what do you want for the new year? What do you want for our church? What do you want? And you know what He spoke to me? It wasn't anything really a lot about the church. It was about me. See, Did you know that God loves me not for what I do or for me being a pastor, but he loves me because he loves me. And he began to speak to me, and he said, I want you, I want you to get your priorities straight. I want you to hear my voice like you used to. I want you to press in like you've never done before. And he let me know that there's so much at stake in this, in this world today for this church. And I've been pressing in and I've been calling out to God. I've been repenting of apathy and complacency. And I've asked God to give me a heart that is passionate. A heart that hears his voice. And the desires to hear his voice. Listen, we need to pay attention to the plight of those who are suffering. They're suffering. They're hurting. There's injustice in the world. There's injustice in our nation. Uh, we need to live in such a way that we know that God sees us. You know, one of the first little Bible verses, our children, when they were just in the beginner's class in Sunday school, where they'd come home with a Bible verse memorized, they'd say, Don would say, tell Daddy your Bible verse. And you know, God sees me. And you think that's, oh, that's so cute. That's, you know, a little child. And I'm thinking how profound that is. How profound that is. How profound that is. God sees me. You know, he sees me and he knows me. He knows me inside and out. He knows and he sees behind all of the closed cabinet doors, the compartments in my life that I close off, no one else sees, and God sees right through. And no matter what it is, he still loves me more than anyone else does. And he wants to help. He gives the invitation. Even though God sees the truth about us sometimes, he sees our failures, he sees how we maybe don't measure up, but God says, hey, through Christ, you trust in him, you measure up. You're whole. He calls those things that are not as though they already were. And we are not perfect, but God says, oh, you're perfect. Because Christ's blood is applied to your heart. 
God gives an invitation to an undeserving people here in the text, as he does today. Isaiah 1.10 says, listen to the Lord, you leaders of, and he calls it the way it is. He calls a spade a spade. He calls leaders of Sodom and listen to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. Calls it the way it is. What makes you think, I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord. I'm sick, listen to this, God says, I'm sick of your burnt offering of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Now, because they had rejected the ways of God, God had rejected their sacrifices. Because they weren't sincere in giving them, God says, I don't want to receive them. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of wired this way that uh, if, if somebody gives me a gift, you know, I, I don't want that gift unless it's freely given. Are you that way? It's like, oh, that's a really nice gift. But, but when you can tell or you know or you have an information that they really resent having to give that to you. You know, I'll smile. I'll smile and say, well, thank you so much, but I can't receive that. See, God is that way. God wants you to freely give. You know what? God freely gives to us. In fact, he, he tells us, freely you have received, freely give. You freely receive mercy and love and grace, freely give it. You've received forgiveness, freely give it away. And, and God says, listen, you know, what makes you think I want the sacrifices? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fatted cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of the bulls and the goats. They do no good. They're not effectual because your heart is not engaged. Because they've rejected the ways of God. They had rejected his word. They have uh, had uh, grieved the Holy Spirit. And they have invited God's judgment. You know what the saddest thing about impending judgment is that so many people don't believe it's going to happen because it's delayed. It's delayed. You know, when, when Donna was, uh, had our small children at home and, and uh, they would misbehave, she homeschooled them. And when they would misbehave, she would say, you know, wait till your father gets home. Now, they would be perfectly happy until they heard the car drive up. So judgment was delayed, but judgment was certain. And, and, and when they really got in trouble, she'd call me at the office and I would come home in the middle of my day and we'd have a discussion. We would go into the, our bedroom and have them sit on the bed and come let us reason together, says, the, says your father. And, and there was a mixture of justice and grace and mercy. Amen? And God says this to his people. But you know what? In, in, despite how far the nation had moved away from God, and this is the good news, there was still a remnant of faithful followers of the Lord who were grieved by what they saw in the culture and who made it their business to call out to God and pray. They were those who God had spared the nation for. Did you know that when God does something good to you or protects you, that those who are around you are unwitting recipients of God's grace and mercy and protection too? 
You know what I see? Again, I see things in pictures. I pray for my children when they leave to go home, you know, as they did this past week, all packed up and went home. Some went all the way back to North Dakota, long trip, and the wintertime can be perilous sometimes if the weather changes or conditions. And I, there's other people, drivers that aren't driving correctly that they could be a victim of. And I pray as we pray over them before they leave the door for God's protection over them, to give them traveling mercies. Lord, send your angels before them and behind them. And the last thing I'll pray is I said, God, as you protect them, Lord, because of your goodness and your partiality to my children, because their faith is in you, would you protect people around them as well? When God's people on a nation like ours that is deserving of judgment begin to pray and cry out to God, other people are unwitting beneficiaries of the stay of judgment and the call for God to send revival and an awareness of his, of his name. We make a difference. We who love the Lord. We make a difference. I remember Abraham's intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah when the angel of the Lord, the pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, a Christophany, theophany, he came down in as an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord with two other angels who were to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, how horrible, God, destruction of life. God, if there's 50 righteous in the city, would you spare the city? He began to intercede. Are you interceding for our nation? Are you crying out to God and negotiating with him as Abraham did? He was a good negotiator. And he got down to 10 and he said, well, won't the God of all the earth do his right? He should have gone down to five and the cities would have been spared. But Lot and his family were spared because they were followers of Christ. We need to be intercessors. You know, God also thirdly gives an invitation. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as I'm closing. He gives an invitation to find cleansing. It's a cleansing from sin. I don't know about you all. I need cleansing every day. For my sins. I mean, in the mornings, and I pray like I did this morning, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the things I did I shouldn't have done. But also, God, please forgive me for the things I don't know I did wrong. Sins of omission and commission. And he offers cleansing, cleansing of it. Look, you know, Isaiah 118, that he will make us as white as snow and he'll make us as, as clean as wool. The call to repentance in verse 16, wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. You know, that's repentance. God does the cleansing, but we do the repenting. See, God calls us, you wash yourself. You turn your backs on your sins. You renounce your sins so that I can cleanse you and make you as white as snow. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, God also, and 17 says, he says, learn Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Do what is right. We're not saved by our works, but because we are saved and filled with the Spirit, we want to do good works. Because we love who God loves. I remember David's repentance when David had sinned with Bathsheba. David was referred to by God himself as a man after my own heart. Well, why was he referred to as that? It's because David pressed in to the presence of God for mercy and forgiveness even when he sinned. 
He didn't try to hide his sin as Saul did and pretend like it wasn't there or, or just blow it off like it wasn't important. But in sin, David, when he was caught, it was like, thank God I got caught because this has been weighing on me. God cleansed me. And David cried out to God and he said, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He says, oh, give back to me my joy again because joy is a casualty of unrepentant sin. He says, you have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins, God. Remove the stain of my guilt and calls it off with this, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal or a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, God delights in answering prayers like that, doesn't he? He delights in that. You know, the Word of God says this, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Revelation 1, 5 says, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the shedding of his blood for us. I, I just think, uh, as I was going through this old, old song, and it's like rejoicing. Because there's a difference. And you're a Christian, you, become a, you should be different. Not because of your striving, but because God puts that spirit in you. And rejoicing in this song, the songwriter wrote, All my yesterdays are buried in the deepest of seas. The guilt of sin I once carried, it's gone, praise God, I'm free. Looking for a bright tomorrow where no tears dim the eyes. Oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. And I, my friends today, watching online, but here Jesus is passing by. He's always present. He's always seeing us. He's always watching us. He's always reaching out to us. He's always appealing to us to draw closer. We need to draw close to the Lord in this new year. We need to press in. We need to stay in the, in the way of walking with God. We, we need to fight complacency and apathy and realize that what we do in this life counts and a difference could be made in the eternity of other people because of it. We need to, as God does, does uh, the scripture we read earlier from Isaiah is to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Cry out to God. Cry out for those who are held captive through deception of the enemy and the lies of the devil. And ask God to open their eyes and bring them in. Bring them to the place of cleansing. Bring them to the altar. Bring them to a place of commitment and restoration with God. Would you bow your heads in prayer today? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, Lord, the, Lord, the uh, promise you give to a wayward people, uh, to an undeserving people. But you issued a gracious and generous invitation, Lord, to those who are undeserving, unworthy, to come, have a conversation with me. Let's sit down and talk. I desire to forgive you. I desire to cleanse you. I'm just going to ask you today, Father, as you move on our hearts and see us, Lord, that there would be a time of just consecration today. Lord, uh, folks here, uh, most if not all are believers. They love you. 
But Lord, as we are entering into this new year, Lord, let it be a year of transformation from the old to the new. Lord, move us and allow us, Lord, by our decision to move close to you, closer than we've ever been, that this will be an incredible year of incredible spiritual growth and, Lord, an incredible blessing for our church. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the anointers to come at this time and come to the front. Uh, uh, the worship team is going to lead us in some worship. If you're here visiting, there's an informal dismissal at noon. And uh, we ask you to, to worship for a bit, to come down and pray. If you need prayer for any reason at all, please come down and the anointers will pray for you. Um, if you want to pray just simply by yourself, you can kneel at the front or on the front chairs, rows of chairs. But this is a time of commitment, of dedicating ourselves to him anew and afresh. So would you stand? Father, in Jesus' name, bless. And as some people leave in a few moments, Lord, just bless them. Keep them close to you, Lord God, and remind them of your promises, Lord. And Lord, put into our hearts, Lord, a passion for the lost and those who are suffering in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.